Amen. So uh, we're going to be in the book of Genesis 20. Did we get that uh, uh, recorder turned on? All right. Genesis 20. We're going to look at verses 1 through 7. title of this message is called Abraham is a Prophet. The Bible says, And Abraham journeyed from there to the, to there to the south and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur, and he stayed in Gerar. Now Abraham said of, his, of Sarah, his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. But, but Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Did he not say to me, She is my sister? And she, even her, she, even she herself said, He is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and innocence of my hands, I have done this. And God said to him in a dream, Yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart, for I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. Now, what we're going to be looking at is we're going to be looking at uh, not so much what's happening in the scripture, but the very last text where it said, uh, he is a prophet, talking about Abraham, and he will pray for you, and when he prays for you, you shall live. So one of the things that we want to look at is uh, this is the very first instance in scripture where you have the word prophet used. In the English language, we use the word prophet. Now one of the things that we have to understand is that there is a principle or a rule uh, in, in interpreting scripture that, that is called the guideline uh, uh, of first mention or the law of first mention and that says that to understand a particular word or doctrine we must find the first place in scripture that word or doctrine is first revealed and then study that word or study that passage where it's found. The reasoning is that the Bible's first mention of a concept is the simplest and clearest presentation of that subject or of that concept or of that word. Doctrines are then more fully developed on that foundation. So to fully understand an important and complex theological concept, Bible students are advised to start with its first mention. Now, what I said was this is the first place that we have in the English language the word prophet. But what we don't really understand sometimes is that in Hebrew there are several different words that are translated into the English language as the word prophet. Uh, in the Hebrew language, you have the word roe. Uh, roe is from the general Hebrew term, which means to see. This person understood God's ways and plans and was consulted to ascertain God's will in a manner. A roe is one way or one word in Hebrew that we translate as prophet. Then you have the word hotse. Hotse is basically a synonym of roe, and it's used from a rare Hebrew term, and it means to see in a vision. Then you have the word nabi. Nabi is another Hebrew word translated into the English language as the word prophet, and it means to call or to announce. This is the most common Old Testament de term to designate a prophet. A prophet is someone who speaks for God to his people. So, the other terms, uh, roe and hotse, are more talking about how God speaks to a person 
the word Nabi is more along the lines of a prophet and what he does, which is to speak on behalf of God. They all speak on behalf of God, but a, uh, the focus on the Nabi prophet is one that is called to, uh, one that means to uh, call or to announce. So what we find in this passage is not only the first time the word uh, Nabi is translated as the word prophet, but the first time any Hebrew word is translated into English as the word prophet. So based on the principle of first mention, what we're going to examine uh, as we look at this passage where Abraham is called a prophet and he's defined as a prophet, as we look at this passage, we're going to find what basically the simplest definition of what a prophet was and in that understanding of what a prophet was through Abraham being called a prophet, maybe we come to an understanding of what a prophet should be in scripture and should be for us today because it's basically the simplest definition according to the law of first mention of what a prophet is. Now it can be much more than this, but we're going to basically go back to the beginning, which is really what Genesis is. It's the beginning. So the first point we're going to look at is that the first thing we see about Abraham is that Abraham is going to pray for Abimelech, so that falls under the title as Abraham as a prophet prays to God. Genesis 20 and 7, again, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that she shall surely die, you and all who are here. So obviously what we want to realize is that it, the prophet's prayers, Abraham, who is called a prophet, his prayers on behalf of Abimelech, who was in a, in a precarious situation, would cause he and his nation to be restored to life. So if Abraham didn't pray for them, they were on a path towards destruction. But if he allowed Abraham to pray for him, then they would see life come into their life. So from this passage, the first thing we see is that God tells Abimelech that Abraham, a prophet, what he will do is pray that he might live. So we see then that the primary function of a prophet, based on this law of first mention and what's happening here, is that a prophet prays to God, intercedes to God on behalf of others not to bring death and destruction, but that God may bring healing and life into the lives of people that are already under the sentence of death and destruction. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So then we see that Abraham's call as a prophet, so in the law of first mention, what is a prophet supposed to do? They're supposed to intercede on behalf of other people for their welfare and for their life. Again, we're not saying that the role of a prophet does not vary, but that this being the place of first mention, this is the foundation to which a prophet is to move from. Now, some of y'all may ask, if you go throughout Scripture, well, I thought prophets were supposed to give words of, uh, the words from God, and sometimes the words from God were words of judgment. Yes, we're not saying that, but what we're looking at, we're not de denying that. What we're looking at here is that what we find is that the primary role of a prophet based on the law of first mention is that he was supposed to pray for those. So even if a prophet gave a negative or, or, or contrary word to people that were in a, in a difficult situation, a judgmental word, what we learn from this is that if the prophet would pray on behalf of those people, God would listen to the prophet's prayers and in, because of the prophet's prayers intervene uh, uh, through the prophet's prayers on behalf of the people the prophet was praying towards. So are you hearing what I'm saying? What I'm saying is that, yes, I could give 
if the Lord uh, uh, gave, if I was an Old Testament prophet and the Lord gave me a, a, a judgment upon a people, then what we're going to find is throughout Scripture, we, that happened in Moses' life, where God said, I'm going I'm to destroy these people, and God said, no, don't do that, God. He interceded on behalf of the people, even though they were under judgment. Even if the prophet gave that word of judgment, they were supposed to intercede on behalf of people. When you find that judgment comes, it's when God tells the prophet not to pray. There are several times in Scripture where God told the prophet, do not pray for these people, because I will not hear your prayers. So what we learn from that is that if the prophet prays, God hears their prayers, and the prophet was also always to intercede on behalf of the people that he's praying for, for their welfare, not for their destruction. Are you, are, 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 is there anybody out there? No, I'm preaching to an empty... Okay, there's two people out there. All right, anyway. So what we found, uh, just a couple of sub-points under that. Abraham prays for other people. This is not the first time we see Abraham praying for other people. It is the first time we see the word prophet in connection with Abraham, but it's not the first time we see Abraham praying. In Genesis 18, 22 through 26, uh, God had showed Abraham what was going to happen uh, with Sodom and Gomorrah, and uh, whenever he had, he and two angels had shown themselves to Abraham, he says the men, uh, the angels basically turned away from there, went towards Sodom, but Abraham still still before the Lord, and Abraham came near and said, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? And so what's happening here is the the uh, people of Sodom and Gomorrah were going to be under, under a word of destruction because of all the evil that was taking place in there. But Abraham knew that his nephew Lot lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. And so Abraham began to intercede on behalf of not only Lot, but because Lot was there, he was interceding on behalf of the city. And so God, he comes before the Lord. And what's interesting is that uh, God is standing there before Abraham, and God doesn't say no. God is listening to Abraham's intercession. God doesn't have to listen, but what we learn from the posture of God uh, 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 who is in this passage before Abraham is we learn that God is standing still listening to Abraham's prayers. He, if he didn't want to, he wouldn't have done that. He would have just gone, but he wanted to hear Abraham. And, he, and Abraham was praying, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and spirit for the 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous could, should be as the wicked. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And so the Lord said ah, to Abraham, because Abraham was interceding, God said, the Lord said, in case you were wondering, the Bible says, the Lord said. So it's God standing before Abraham saying, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous people within the city, then I will spare all the place because of their sakes. Why is he doing it? Because of their sakes. But it's more than that. The reason he's doing it is because Abraham, a prophet, was praying for their welfare. Right? How often do we hear prophets today saying things like, California is going to fall into the ocean, uh, they're going to they're be judged and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not against 
uh, uh, saying that their word is not correct because I don't really know. I don't know whether they hear from God or not. My beef is not so much with that, although I tend to think that God's not just saying words of, of judgment. God is also speaking words of welfare and life. And if you're going to have, a, you're going to be a prophet of the Lord. You got to pronounce both when God is speaking. My problem is not with that. Uh, my problem is more with. Okay, so if the Lord gives you that word, why do we not hear these same prophets interceding on behalf of California? Why do we not hear these same prophets saying, now, this is what I felt like the Lord tell, tell me, but I know that God answers prayer, and if God answers prayer, let's begin to intercede on behalf of these people because we know that God does not desire to punish the wicked, God does not desire to bring them under judgment. God desires that everyone would live. So let's intercede for them. <clears throat> but we don't hear that happening very much today. If you go on YouTube, it's like judgment, 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 judgment. Even with a lot of people that have these YouTube channels and saying, he's a heretic, these guys are heretics, these guys are heretics, they're just pronouncing judgment on him. Why don't they ever say, hey, let's pray for them. God's desires that they would be uh, right and whatever. Wait, you don't see that. <coughs> you know why? Because, um, well, this is my opinion. Uh, that doesn't sell, right? But it's not about what sells. It's about what's the heart of God. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not opposed to, to presenting the word of the Lord. I'm not opposed to talking Bible. Uh, there are differences in the way we interpret Bible. Uh, if we interpret the Bible differently, as long as it's faithful to Scripture, it doesn't mean that I'm a heretic or you're a heretic or whatever the case may be. Also, we have people in different stages of maturity. Just because they're preaching doesn't mean that their doctrine is totally fully developed. We also have people, if you tend to talk before people, you tend to make mistakes when you talk. You know, So um, I've said things before that I've gone back later and said, no, I don't agree with what I said. <laughs> you know, uh, But you, know, you don't always have the opportunity to go back and, and, and deal with those kind of things. And so I, I just think that the heart uh, that we find with Abraham and the heart of a prophet is not to bring judgment, but the heart of a prophet should be to bring life and to intercede for life. Amen? So Abraham prays. Not only do we see that Abraham prays, he prays in a specific way. He prays for their welfare. Jeremiah 29, 11, God says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thought of, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. That's the heartbeat of God. Well, you say, well, I'm not so sure about that. He was talking about Israel then. Well, let me, let me give you some other scriptures, Ezekiel 22 and 30. God says, I sought for a man among the land who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that is not living right, that is not doing right, that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. What is the context here? Were the people living in, in, in outside of God's will? Yes. Were they doing wrong? Yes. But God was looking for someone, a prophet, who would intercede for the people so that he could not do what it is that was coming, which is to bring judgment, but so that they, he would bring a, a turnaround in their lives. Ezekiel 18 and 23. Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? I, I don't know about you, but um, when I began to realize that other Christians, even those that go, don't go to the church that I go to, other Christians are my brothers and my sisters in the Lord, if I really understand the context of family, 
I'm not going to be looking to expose them or to portray them as heresy hunter, as a heresy hunter or heretics or do all these kind of things. Now, people are free to do whatever they want. But if my daughter, uh, I have two daughters, if my daughters weren't living right, my desire is that they would turn from their ways and live. And what I do and what I've done and I will continue to do is I will pray and intercede that God will touch them, that God would rekindle their fire, that God would bring them to the place where they can fulfill their purpose and destiny in their life. I'm not trying to expose them. I'm trying to cover them. And if we understood that we understand in the context of our, of our immediate family, why can't we understand that in Christ we are brothers and sisters in the Lord and that family, if you believe what the Lord said, which I tend to believe everything he said, he said, my brothers and sisters are the ones that are here listening to my word and doing what I say. Then why wouldn't we go to bat for others that our brothers and sisters in Christ, yes, they're different than us. Yes, they may think different than us. But if they're different than us, that doesn't mean that they're outside. My children, my wife, they think totally different than I do. They don't, they don't tow the Rick line. <laughs> they don't believe everything that I believe, but that doesn't mean that they don't know the Lord. And I don't kick them out, and I don't expose them as heresy hunters, and I don't do any of that. Why? Because they're my family, and I love them. And the Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. Not exposes them. Are you hearing what I'm saying? In fact, I was reading in the book of uh, Genesis, and I was reading about Noah, and actually, I think it was uh, Shem. Yeah, I think it was Shem. No, it wasn't Shem. Canaan's dad, let's put it that way, went in and exposed and took advantage of Noah's nakedness. And because of that, he and his children were under a curse. But the ones that covered Noah's nakedness, now what we, the Bible is very plain, Noah made a mistake and he was naked, but the ones that came in and covered him up and didn't take advantage of him but tried to protect him and tried to cover him, those are the ones that were blessed. Now, obviously we're talking about different things, but I think we can learn something from that. We keep trying to expose people and keep trying to bring them uh, uh, shame upon them and expose their shame. I think that what we're going to find is that we're not putting ourselves in a camp where we can walk under the blessings of God. I think God would desire for us to, to bless people, to cover their, their mistakes, to, 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 to do things, to bring them to a place where they can walk in conformity with what we believe the Lord wants them to walk in. Anyway, it's not about them. It's, I think most of it is not about them. It's about our own hearts. Esther 4 and 14, God says, if you remain talking to Esther, uh, Mordecai uh, uh, just really in, in some ways exemplifying the heart of God. If you, Esther, remain completely silent at this time, in other words, if you don't go to bat for the people, if you don't intercede, even if it costs you your life, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from somewhere else, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Now, Esther was the, the queen. As the queen, she had an opportunity to go before the king to make intercession for the people that were under condemnation and under judgment, not a, not a wicked uh, judgment uh, from the, that they were doing things wrong, but under judgment by an evil, wicked 
uh, administrator named Haman. And Esther, Esther had the ability to go before the king. It, it would cost her. It, it meant that she would put her life in peril, but she had the ability to go before the king to intercede for the people, and Mordecai is encouraging her to do that. We are part of the bride of Christ. We have the privilege of going before the king of kings and the Lord of lords to do what? To intercede on behalf of other people. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Scripture if we go to the New Testament, testifies that Jesus himself was a prophet. Luke 24, 19, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. What was Jesus' heart as he was walking this planet being a prophet? John 3, 16 and 17, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus was uh, a privy to this. It wasn't against his will. He chose to do this that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the, into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's the heartbeat of God. So according to the first, the principle of first mention, what we find out about Abraham was that he was a prophet. And what we see is that God highlights in the, what God highlights in the scriptures, the importance of a prophet's intercessory role before the Lord, and the chief purpose of intercession was to intercede for life. While not in this text that we read, there are some other things about Abraham's life that I think would be pertinent for us, per, pertinent for us to look at if we want to get a fuller picture of what defines a prophet. So what we need, these are some of these, they're not in the text, but they're they're, they're foundational to Abraham, and in, in being foundational to Abraham, they're also foundational to what it means to be a prophet of the Lord. So one of the things that it goes without saying, but we're going to say it because we need to say it, is that Abraham knows God. He has a relationship with God. Acts 7, 2 through 4, Brethren and fathers, listen, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran, and said to him, Get out of your country and from your relatives, and come to a land that I will show you. Then he came out of the land of Chaldeans, dwelt in Haran, and from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land in which you now dwell. So this passage highlights Abraham's call, which we originally find in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. I didn't read that one because I just wanted to give you a little variation in Scripture. Realize that Scripture does uh, uh, oftentimes reinforce things that are, that are in the book of Genesis. And in, in this call, God appears to him and speaks to him, tells him to leave the land he was in, leaves his family behind, and follow God to the land that he will show him. And Abraham heard God's voice, and Abraham did what God said for him to do. Right? So what I want to bring out that can often be overlooked, because it seems to be obvious, is that Abraham had a relationship with God. He knew God, and God knew him. It's in this context of this relationship that we find Abraham's role as a prophet of the Lord. That role is based on having a relationship, not just a relationship, but a proper relationship with God. Now, now what, you say, what do you mean a proper relationship with God? Okay, let me read this scripture, and then I'll go back, and I'll, I'll, I'll reinforce that. John, James 2, 21 through 24, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see that then that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. So what the scripture reveals to us is that Abraham, in relationship with God, heard God, 
obeyed God. In other words, Abraham wasn't God. Abraham was a child of God. God is God. The Bible says in Psalms 100, 100, He is the Lord. He is God. We are not. We are His sheep. We are the sheep of His pasture. And that is so foundational because what often happens is we get saved, but in our salvation, we somehow understand our relationship with God as kind of a buddy-buddy type scenario. Now, we can be friends with God, and God can be a friend of us because the Bible teaches that Abraham was a friend of God. And in John 15, he says, uh, you are my friends because I've revealed to you. Well, why was God revealing things through Jesus Christ? Why was he revealing things to him? Because he, they were his disciples. They were following after him. Jesus said, uh, um, he that would come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow after me. Oftentimes what happens is when we get born again, we don't realize that God is God and we are his children. We are his servants. We are the ones that do his will. Oftentimes while we do have sway with God and we can intercede and we can pray and we can, it's he that leads and not us. So often in our life, we want to have a relationship with God where God does our bidding, not we do his. That is an improper relationship with God. A proper relationship with God is He is the Lord and we are His servants. We are His children. We are His sons and daughters. But He is the Father and we are the children. He is the Lord. We are the servants. He he is the one that determines what needs to be done and we get the privilege of hearing Him and doing it for His behalf. We need to be in a proper relationship with with God. And Abraham was in a proper relationship with God. He heard from God and he did what God asked him to do. And because his faith in God, he believed God and he did what God asked him to do, then it was accounted to him for righteousness. And because of that proper relationship with God, he was called a friend of God. So you can't be a friend of God if you're not willing to hear God and do his will. You've got to hear from God do his will, be in a proper relationship with God, and as you do that, you develop into a friend of God. Okay, second thing, uh, third thing we're going to look at in this context is that Abraham knows God, but Abraham also hears God. Genesis 18, 16 through 26. The men rose from there, looked towards Sodom. Abraham went with them to send them on the way, and the Lord said in the con- in, to, the, to the men that were with him, while Abraham was there, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing, since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? Now, you've got to realize that God is talking to these men while Abraham is there. So, God could have pulled that man off to the side. He could have had this conversation before. He could have had this conversation after. He could have closed up the ears of Abraham. But God is trying to teach us something. God is in front of Abraham is saying, shall I hide from Abraham what I am going to do? The answer, of course, the implied answer is no, because God is wanting Abraham to know what he's about to do. And if you'll recognize, this is the same passage I looked at a little bit while ago, where Abraham, because he heard 
what God was going to do, was then launched into a ministry of intercession on behalf of what, he, what God said he was going to do. So in order to be able to do what he did, when Abraham took his son up the mountain, this is in another situation, we looked at that scripture a little bit earlier, Abraham had to hear from God. In this scripture, in order to be able to intercede for Sodom and Gomorrah, he had to hear from God. God spoke to Abraham. Abraham heard God speak to him his word. In this text, God is discussing with him what, he, what we will find out is with two of his angels, Abraham and Abraham's purpose, which we will highlight in the next point. But here, what does God say? He says, And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? In Amos 3 and 7, the Bible says, Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret, his words, his will to his servants, the prophets. Ezekiel 3, 10 through 11, Moreover he, Ezekiel said to me, uh, Ezekiel's talking, Moreover he, the Lord, said to me, Son of man, receive into your heart all my words that I speak to you, and hear with your ears, and go get to the captives, to the children of your people, and speak to them and tell them, Thus says the Lord God, whether they hear or whether they refuse to hear. John 12 and 49, Jesus himself, again, who is called a prophet, says, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. So Jesus basically is saying, I say what I hear my Father saying. John 10 and 27 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So what is key in this is that Abraham hears God's will. Now, he can begin to intercede with God. He can begin to go back and forth with God and try to sway God. And that's what prayer is about, swaying God for life. When we're talking about the context of when somebody's under destruction, to sway God to bring life, not to sway God to bring destruction, because God's heartbeat is life. It's welfare. It's that God would have mercy. And that is the heartbeat of God. Right? So, but in order to do that, you've got to hear the will of God. You've got to hear the words of God. And a prophet, a true prophet, does not simply declare his own will. He doesn't declare what he wants to happen. He declares what he hears God saying, what he, what he hears God saying, and then he is faithful to declare what God is saying. So what if God is saying He's going to speak judgment again because everybody wants to go back while well, the prophet speaks judgment. What if God is declaring judgment? Then you say what God is saying and then you intercede with God and you rally the people to intercede with God. That judgment would be mitigated, would be put aside, would not be poured out, but that God would show mercy. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You have to, so in other words, today what's happening is, um, and I'm going to bring this over because it's a lot of times if you're preaching, you flow in and out of a prophetic, not everybody does, but you can flow in and out of a prophetic function, a prophetic uh, role as you're proclaiming and as you're preaching. Well, a lot of times today in our role as preachers, we don't want to declare the truth of God's word because we're afraid that people won't come or people won't want to stay or they're going to think that we're judging them or they're going to think all these kind of things. No, we're called to proclaim the truth. We're called to proclaim the truth. 
It's the Word of God. We're not called to determine what God would say if it were up to us, or we hope that God would say and bring our filters into what we think should happen. No, we're called to speak the Word of God. <coughs> not some of the counsel of God, not most of the counsel of God, but all the counsel of God. Well, we could get in trouble if we did that. So, Jesus got in trouble. The apostles got in trouble. Why would we think we're not going to be in trouble? Well, we might lose people from our church. So, Jesus lost a ton of people when he preached the truth. The apostles lost people when they preached the truth, and they paid a price for it. Why would we think we won't lose people? But the goal is to grow a church. No, the goal is not to grow a church, an organization. The goal is to grow the church, mature so that they become like Jesus. So that the people of God become like Jesus. How are they going to become like Jesus if they don't know what Jesus is like? How are they going to become like Jesus if they don't know the word of God and the will of God and adapt their lives and conform their lives to truth, not conform truth to their lives? So we have to declare the words of God. Then... As we do that, we pray that people will turn, people will change, they'll understand the mercy of God, that God will be merciful, because God is merciful. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so we can't, we can't change the Word of God. We can't uh, 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 hold back the Word of God. We've got to preach the whole counsel of God. And yes, I know we live in a society where when you say something, it can go viral on Facebook or it can go viral on social media. But I, I want you to know that that doesn't give us the right to change God's standards. God's standards are the same, right? There's only one way to God, and that's Jesus Christ. Well, what about all these other people, these, these people that are trying to find God in their own way? There's only one way. Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life, no man cometh to the Father except through me. Are you saying, no, I'm not saying anything. Jesus said in his word, this is what the word of God says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Well, uh, what if, uh, uh, then, then how, how am I supposed to get right with God? Uh, uh, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord through Jesus Christ shall be saved. That's the truth. Well, can I be a homosexual? Can I be a bisexual? Can I be a transsexual and be saved? Absolutely. But if you're saved, you're going to have to leave these things behind. Right? It don't matter where you're at. You can be saved no matter what you're doing, where you're at, where you're practicing, what you've done in life. God, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But when you're saved, that's why you want to count the cost, right? You can't continue to practice these things. The Bible calls them sinful. And we're not called to practice sin as we follow after righteousness. Jesus makes us righteous and we're called to live righteously. And so as we follow the Lord, we've got to leave these things behind. You can't say that. I'm not saying that. The Bible teaches that. I'm just trying to tell you the truth, right? So consider the cost. He said, don't just come up to the front and say a word of prayer because you want to go to heaven and not consider the cost because following Jesus is more than just saying a word of prayer and going to heaven. It is giving God your life. I've been crucified with Christ. 
It is no longer I that live, but Christ in me and the life I live. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm not living for myself. I'm living for him. How do we overcome? They overcame by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, because they did not love their life, even to the point of death. Right? I consider all those things that I did before, all those things that I was, I consider them as rush, rubbish. And I press on toward the goal of the upward call of uh, prize uh, and the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It's no longer about me. It's about Him. He is King of Kings. He is Lord of Lords. He's my Savior. He's my Redeemer. He's my Healer. And when I got saved, I considered the cost. I don't know everything that lies ahead. I don't know all that can happen. I don't know that. But my life no longer my own. It's no longer my own. My reputation is no longer mine. It's his. Whatever he wants, it's his. It all belongs to him. My desire is that you would hear, when I, when I hear his voice, that you would hear his voice through me. And in saying this and in preaching this, recognize that even though we we, we, we're not going to back away from speaking truth, that you would hear the love of God behind it. And that you would understand the mercy of God and the, and the grace of God and, and the reason he proclaims his truth is so that when we hear the truth, we would realize that we're not where we need to be. We're not uh, right with God and we would turn because that's what God is wanting us to do. He sends us forth as heralds, as messengers to say, hey, I've got good news for you. If you will turn to God in Christ Jesus, call on the name of the Lord, no matter where you're at, no matter what you've done, God is so good. He went to the cross for you so that you don't have to die in your sins, so you don't have to perish, so you don't have to go to an everlasting judgment. He died for you so that no matter where you're at, it doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter where you're at in life, if you're on the very last breath of your life, if you will call upon God, God is so merciful, so good, so loving, He will save you there. That's how good God is. You hearing what I'm saying? And that's what we have to understand. That brings us to the fourth point. The, the good thing about not having a crowd is I don't have to quit early. <laughs> nobody's saying, hey, we need to go home. Nobody's shaking. Their, nobody's doing that right now. So I can go as long as I want. All you got to do is turn off your Facebook, turn off your YouTube, and, uh, you know. But I'm going to keep going. So fourth point we want to look at is Abraham is also a teacher of God's ways. Genesis 18, 16 through 26, For I have known him, God is talking to the angels again, in Abraham's presence. So he's not only teaching us, he's teaching Abraham, and he's declaring something. I have known him, I have a relationship with Abraham. For what purpose? That he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord, to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. So the rest of this passage in Genesis 18 where God reveals what he is going to do in Sodom, God gives the reason why he is making his plans known to Abraham. In, in this verse, he, he says he's revealing his plans to Abraham so that he may keep the way of the Lord. What is the way of the Lord? To do righteousness and justice and teach his descendants to do the way of the Lord. What is the way of the Lord? To do righteousness and justice. So not only is he supposed to teach it, but he's supposed to live it, right? right? And I, I'm telling you, God's been merciful to me. He's been grace, uh, just so merciful to me. I, I've had issues in my life, and 
Uh, God could have exposed me. God could have kicked me out of ministry. I've had to deal with things. I'm growing just like you do. I'm not perfect. I, I continue to have God removing things off my life. I'm so grateful for his mercy. I'm so grateful for his grace. And one of the things that I've always known, I haven't always practiced, but I've always known, and I think it's important that we know, is it's not just enough to teach the things of God. You've got to live the things of God. You've got to live it. You, you, you got, you, the, the righteousness and justice is more caught than it is taught. Paul, in another place, and I'll say it right here, I'll say it later, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me. Why could he say that? Because he was imitating the Lord. He was doing God's will. We have to not only keep the way of God, but we've got, got to also teach the way of God. The Bible says of Moses, another prophet and friend of the Lord, in Psalms 103 and 7, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. As we know from, the, from Bible history, Moses not only lived uprightly before the Lord, but he, he also taught the Israelites the ways of God. Deuteronomy 4.14 says, And the Lord commanded me at that time, Moses is talking, to teach you statutes and judgments that you might observe them in the land when you cross over to possess. So Abraham, as a prophet, was not just a hearer of God, he was a doer of God's word, and he was a teacher of others how to live faithfully before the Lord and to keep his word. And you know what? We're supposed to be, as the church, we are supposed to be salt and we're supposed to be light. Not just talk it, we're supposed to do it. Faith without works is dead. So as the church, we are God's instruments. We are God's friends. We are God's uh, uh, chosen vessels to do what? To hear from God, to live rightly according to God's will before the Lord but also before people and teach them the ways of God that's what we're supposed to be doing just like with Abraham so let me wrap this up the conclusion is this Abraham according to the law of first mention provides for us the simplest definition of what a prophet is before the Lord a prophet is one who knows God lives for God hears God and teaches others the will of God while all the, uh, the time interceding for them that they might find life and healing and that they might be restored into right relationship with God. I want to tell you, that is a good definition, not only of a prophet in Abraham's time, but if we could bring that into New Testament time, that's a great definition of a prophet. Here, you're, you're in right relationship with God, you hear from God, you speak for God, but your heartbeat is restoration. Your heart is life. Your heart is mercy. Your heart is grace, because that's God's heart. Preach the truth, but you preach it in love, wanting the welfare of others. May we all, in this prophetic climate and culture of today, learn from Abraham's life and walk learn what it is as we understand what a prophet is supposed to be through the example and teaching that his walk with God provides for us. So anyway, I just wanted to bring that to you. I hope it helps you tonight. Um, I, we don't have too many people here. I think it's just me and, uh, and uh, Marty and AJ. For those of y'all that, that go to this church, you know who they are. And so, but I still want to end with a word of prayer. I just want you to know wherever you're at, 
whatever situation you're in. Maybe you are on your last uh, breath. Maybe you are on your last leg of life. I want you to know that God loves you. And if you happen to stumble onto this broadcast, I don't believe it's an accident. God wants you to know it doesn't matter what you've done, how bad you've been. It's amazing. You cannot believe in God. You can be an agnostic. You can be an atheist all your life. But when you hit that deathbed, you begin to realize, what if there's something more? And I want you to know, it doesn't matter if you've denied God all your life. If you're hearing this and you hear God and you hear me speaking on, on behalf of the Lord, I want you to know that Jesus Christ died for you as well. And until death and the finality of death comes, you can call on the name of the Lord. You might be saying, well, I can't talk. I'm hooked up to an intubator. I want you to know that if you call to God with your heart, you don't have to use words. You call on God with your heart, God will meet you there. He is omniscient. He knows all, and he's omnipresent. He is everywhere. And he's also omnipotent. He can do anything at any time. And I want to tell you, the greatest miracle that God ever did, the greatest power that, re that is released, is when God does a supernatural work of salvation in the life of an individual. He said, what do I need to do to be saved? Recognize you're not right with God. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're not in right relationship with God. Then what do I do? Recognize that Jesus Christ paid the price for your shortcomings. Paid the price for your sins. He wasn't sinful. He had no sin in him. But in righteousness, he gave his life for you that you might embrace his righteousness. He took upon himself your sin. Paid the price for So what do I have to do? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and call upon him. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's what God did for you. No matter where you're at, all you got to do is say, Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, I want to know you. Jesus, I want to be right with you. Jesus, I want to spend eternity with you. Whatever it is, your context, God will hear you there. But I also want you to know that even if you're on your last leg of life, that God is also a healer. Wherever you're at, you might call on the name of the Lord, and I want you to know that one of the names of God is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer. And God may just reach down right there, right where you're at, and he might do a miracle of healing and restoration in your life. Not only will you be saved, but God will also heal your body. Wherever you're at, whatever situation you're in, maybe you know the Lord, but you need God to heal your body. I know what that's like. I struggled with my back this week again. I'm, I'm believing God. Man, it's not going to be long. I'm going to see a full restoration in my back because Jehovah Rapha has promised me in his word. But I want you to know that whatever situation you're in, by faith, because it's not a work that you're going to do. You're just going to, by faith, call on the name of the Lord. Call on Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, your healer. And God can heal you right where you're at. So, we're going to say a word of prayer. I'm going to try to cover these in the word of prayer. But if you need healing, say, God, I'm calling on Jesus, my healer, to heal me. If you need salvation, I'm calling on Jesus, my Savior, to save me. Whatever you need in life, call on the Lord right where you're at. God hears you, and God will meet you at that place. At the point of your call, at the point of your heart's cry, God will meet you there. So let's pray together. Dear Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to preach your word tonight, to preach your truth, to preach the, 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 the gospel of Jesus Christ, the power of God unto the salvation of those who believe. I pray that today as the Spirit of God is touching people's hearts and lives, that if there's anybody listening to the sound of my voice that needs salvation, as they call on you today and say, Jesus, I'm lost, save me today. 
that you would save them wherever they're at. That as people call out and say, Jesus, I'm sick, I'm ill, I'm injured, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going through, and they call on you, that you would reach down, that you would heal them and deliver them from their destruction, I pray today in Jesus' name. As they call upon you, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus, do a, an incredible work in their life. There's somebody, I think, that's listening to me that you have an incredible problem with your ear, that you're in a lot of pain. I believe the Lord is healing that right now. There's also somebody, you've got a problem with your heart, uh, something's going on with your heart. I believe that God is healing that right now in Jesus' mighty name. So there's somebody else, you have like a fog going on in your head. There's a fog going on there, and, and, and I'm not sure if it's on the right side, but for, uh, just you have a fog going on there. God is uh, releasing that and healing that right now. There's also people that you have cataracts. I think they're your cloudiness over your eyes. God is touching that and healing that right now. There's somebody that's having a problem with their tongue. Uh, they're not able to use their tongue correctly. Uh, there's kind of like a laziness in there in your tongue that God is healing that in Jesus' mighty name. Lord, I thank you as that river of healing is flowing through people's lives. Lord, I thank you in Jesus' mighty name.